0: The show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll feature Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider, security expert Mark Weinstein, and also tech writer Daniel Berg. All this and more on the Tech Night Owl Live. Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. With so many issues related to Apple and other companies, I don't know where to begin. But I'll start with this. You did a piece this week, Daniel, for Apple Insider about the Google Nexus 7. This is one of the first of the major 7-inch tablets, and it appears to have had some serious reliability problems. Would you tell us more?
1: Well, there's a combination of factors involved, but basically... A lot of people who have who bought the Nexus Seven that came out last fall—I think it came out in August or September—are um, already reporting that after using it for a while, it just is really slow. And there's legs. You try to you flip the orientation of the screen; it just takes a long time to uh, update. And originally, it looked like it was a case of bad RAM. Specifically, it sounds like um, one of the the primary cause of it was a, a bug in the firmware. That Samsung supplied. Um, there's also a secondary problem. That part of it was the hardware, and part of it is the software. And even though Google's Android has tried to fix some of the, or, you know, roll out a solution, the problem of Android devices not getting updates plays into that. Everything that's wrong with Android is evident in the Nexus Seven. That it within a, a year, or, you know, that's not a, a reasonable lifespan for a tablet. It stops working the way you expect it to and it becomes something that they I mean, this, this guy who's an Android fan is saying it's an embarrassment to Google. Just let me give you a quick
0: history here. Supposedly, design work began in January 2012. It was announced at the Google I.O. event, I guess, in May of 2012, shipped in July of 2012 in a number of countries, selling for $199. And everyone said, wow, gosh, golly, gee was this has to be the ipad killer because it's so cheap apple can't meet that price and for the most part a lot of people praised it a lot of the reviewers praised it so now to find out it's not so reliable that's a big negative isn't it
1: well yeah and you know originally this was not the first tablet that came out with android on it. the first wave of tablets were the things like the the samsung tablets that the, the original one that ran froyo android 2.2 and google didn't even want people making tablets at that point because android wasn't ready for tablets and the next year 2011 google was trying to push out honeycomb as its tablet strategy it was the year after the ipad debuted and a lot of that was focused on its own what would become its subsidiary motorola and the zoom tablet and that failed dramatically and all of the new tablets that were trying to run honeycomb none of them took off for a series of reasons and so the nexus 7 was the second major effort by google and the third sort of wave of Android tablets, that, you know, people saw it and was like, okay, this isn't actually a complete piece of crap. And when you look at it, you know, the build quality, it feels kind of nice. And it was a huge engineering effort. And one of the things I detailed in that story is that Google and Asus worked really hard on this thing, you know, not for very long. It was like a a four-month project of desperately trying to get out a whole bunch of new technology. And when you read about it, it's, it's similar to the kinds of things that Apple does in terms of figuring out how to make things thinner by, you know, taking out a layer of glass so you can engineer around. So it's not that they're a bunch of idiots that don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of skilled people that work on products like this. The problem is Android as a platform has a a series of problems. One of them is related to Windows. I mean, it's the same problem that Windows has, is that you have one company doing the software and one company doing the hardware. So you have all these limitations and problems with making them work together well. Apple doesn't have that problem. A second issue you have is the budget con- constraint, you know, trying to make a tablet that's undercutting Apple. Google's not making any money on the Nexus 7. Originally, they were talking, you know, analysts were talking about how they're losing several dollars in each one. Andy Rubin was quoted as saying that they don't, they don't make any money. They're just pushing them through. So it's, it's kind of a situation where you know, every company in the tech landscape is trying to concentrate value on what they do by devaluing everything else that everyone else does. That was what Microsoft did to, to Apple, trying to basically devalue the hardware by putting the value on the operating system. And Google's doing that to Microsoft with the operating system with Android, giving it away for free to sell ads. And then they realized, oh, we also have to address this hardware thing because Apple's making the great hardware. So they're trying to create cheap hardware. So when you have cheap software on cheap hardware, that's what you're going to end up with is an experience that the engineering isn't finished when you run into problems even those problems can't be addressed so there's a series of problems that that kind of create this perfect storm of making the nexus 7 look really good but after you know within a year it's not working very well and there's really no recourse for users unless you want to kind of do all this do-it-yourself kind of experimentation of trying to make a device work okay now we understand with the software but when the hardware develops
0: problems that's not google's fault that's asus or any other company
1: yeah, if, if it's a hardware failure, yes, I mean, that's that's the hardware maker that has to address that. Um, in this particular instance, it was a firmware failure, which is basically software installed on the hardware. It's like low-level software that, in some cases, can't be updated. This particular bug, there is a couple of bugs, but one of them is that when you fill up the device, so when you reach the point where you have just a couple gigabytes left of storage, the firmware controller for memory doesn't do the right things, and it starts... Um, spending a lot of time to catch up. So when you do a, an operation or a task or something, it starts ignoring what you're doing. And I mean, that was kind of the way PCs always were, is that you just kind of waited for things to happen. Apple introduces this concept with iOS devices in particular, that when you touch the screen, it's you know it, it just magically works. It, it has this constant response of, it's very rare to be flicking through screens and have something just stop and wait to... Change resolution or your change orientation when you flip the screen, something like that, whereas on android that 's always been the problem. I have one of those samsung galaxy s fours
0: which is running the current latest version of android four point two point two jelly bean it benchmarks twice as fast as its predecessor the s three supposedly benchmarks as faster faster than any other smartphone on the planet but When you switch back and forth with applications, scrolling can be ragged. Screen displays could refresh raggedly. You can find situations where an application stalls out. Like, for example, for the browser, I have Google's Chrome installed because the Google internet browser sucks. So they have a version of Chrome for Android. And every so often, I'll switch between tabs and the display will be ragged as anything. It'll just slow down. And this is the most powerful Android phone on the planet. They're trying to improve Android performance, I gather, Daniel, with a sledgehammer. You know, take the sledgehammer approach, beat it
1: down until it submits. A lot of the things you're describing relate to how well the software takes advantage of the hardware. So you can have blazing fast hardware, and if your software is doing things, particularly if you're not offloading video effects to graphics hardware which has been a problem always on Android, that's what when people talk about leg, that's what they're talking about, is that it's not as efficient as Apple's iOS is in offloading all this graphics stuff to the graphics processor. So it's done in hardware. So it's done blazingly fast. Okay, do you want me to keep talking about that? Sure. (laughs) I can't forget where I was. Okay, let's just move on here. (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) All right, so the key here is that with iOS, Apple optimizes the software to work with the hardware so that it's smooth. Even the 2007 iPhone was pretty quick and pretty smooth. But with Android, it's all over the place. And already, supposedly, Samsung has already come up with an update for the S4's firmware to address problems, but then who knows? This is the other problem with Android we always have to discuss. Who knows when or if AT&T will push that update, or do I have to do something... And go to the Samsung site to get the update. This is not altogether clear in Android land where you're going to get your update. And even if you can get the update, Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Hey, neighbors. Summer is just about here. The weather's great. The kids are getting out of school, or maybe they're out of school already, as they are in Arizona. And there are many places you'd rather be. But even though you don't want to be at work, business never stops. Well, here's the good news. You can escape the office and still stay connected to your coworkers and clients. Share ideas. Solve problems. Get projects done. Just use GoToMeeting with HD Faces. This is the powerfully simple way to meet and collaborate online. With GoToMeeting by Citrix, it takes just a click to share your screen and work on your documents in real time. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com. Click the Try It Free button. Use the promo code PODCAST. Remember, use the promo code PODCAST for GoToMeeting, meeting is believing.
5: Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com.
0: So we started the session with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com focusing on the Google Nexus 7 from Asus, which was thrown together really fast. Looks nice, although I hear there are some hardware regularities. But the key being here is that it works fine. It's kind of like a Windows computer. You know, with a Windows computer, it works beautifully for, what, a year or two, and then it slows down. And then you have to kind of rebuild everything. But you can't just do that with
1: a smartphone or a tablet, can you? Well, you don't want to be doing that with your smartphone. I mean, people have kind of a... I think Apple has really raised expectations for people that they don't expect a PC-type experience anymore. They expect an iOS-type experience where things work. And when things don't work perfectly, people complain about it. And. You know, it's somewhat like the Mac when people would say, oh, I'm, I'm so tired of Apple not fixing this little bug. I'm going to go to Windows. And it's like, are Are you aware of what it's like on Windows? <laughs> There's, Microsoft doesn't care about your problems. It, it's very similar to that with Android. I mean, people look at with iOS.
0: I think one other issue to consider on the Nexus 7 is not just the interaction with the software, but how much of that is because of hardware that's not really finished. They rushed it out. They didn't have a chance to fine-tune
1: anything. And that's the end result. Well, yeah, I mean, that's certainly part of the problem. If you look at, I mean, Apple rushes stuff, too. They're they're really putting things out about as fast as they can do it. But they have really high-quality standards. And they also have uh, a lot fewer of the problems of a lot of smaller Android licensees in that they have billion-dollar contracts stretching out into the future. So when you have a company like HTC, for example, developing something, Uh, they may run into a problem where Samsung doesn't want to give them the parts for competitive reasons, and they have to stop and redesign something. So when you have those additional complications of being a smaller player, it's harder to to create the same level of quality based on um, the economies of scale that Apple has in, in terms of mobile devices now. Doesn't that create, though, the problem of you can only be a
0: big player to be successful in this business?
1: Well, if you're selling huge amounts of hardware, mobile devices, yeah, it does require a certain amount of scale. Um, If you look at, for example, in the the kind of historical PC market, in order to build a computer, you had to be a Dell or an HP. Or you could be a, a home user and put together some components and deal with your own integration issues of how do you keep this firmware up to date and how, you know, how do you address a bug that is on your no name video card and things like that with mobile devices, you can't really build your own thing. Remember originally when the iPhone came out, there was a lot of talk about, I think it was open and a couple of other open source projects that were going to, you know, make this kind of do it yourself phone where you could buy this generic hardware, but it's moving too quickly. Phones are extremely complicated devices they're very small. They're not something you can put together on your own. And so it's a very different model from the, you know, white box PC thing where you build find some components at Best Buy and put them together in a box and have this really fast game machine. You can't do that. You can't make a device that's faster than what Apple can do on your own. And that requires a bit of scale. So smaller companies, whether it's a company like Amazon, you know, Amazon's doing some, you know, it's pretty incredible, but the kind of things that Amazon has been able to do. Given that they have really no experience in hardware, but it's still not going to be of the on the same level as what Apple's doing because Apple has the hardware experience, and they're selling in much greater quantities. So, who rivals that? That's, I mean, that's a, a good question. It's like, should there be something that like artificially brings Apple down a peg so that other people can compete? I, mean, I don't think that's a solution. It's not fair. In other words, a company should be allowed to rise as high as they can. Certainly, Samsung is big enough. Yeah, and you think Nokia is, is they've certainly, they're certainly established. Their sales have dropped. I mean, if you look at companies like Nokia or uh, BlackBerry, those are once companies that owned all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, there is, there's certainly a possibility that somebody else can come into the market and shake it up. Um, and, you know, Samsung's doing that to an extent with Apple. But if you look at what Samsung doing, even you know Samsung is <laughs> Samsung's a pretty big company, and they have a lot of vertical integration with a lot of other things. But if you look at the the combination of ecosystem apps and media plays, and a lot of the other things that Apple's doing, for example, um, things like iAd and things like new technologies. If you look at the stuff that was released at WWDC, there's a lot of There's a lot of platform supporting things that Google or that Apple is doing that Samsung doesn't know how to do, clearly. And Samsung will come out with these kind of copycat ideas, you know, imitating everything Apple does with an S instead of an I in front of it. But they don't have a core competency in building platforms.
0: One thing I see here is that virtually everyone who reviewed that extra fluff those add-on apps that Samsung added to the Galaxy S4, says, for the most part, they sort of work or don't work at all. And you wonder, where do they test this stuff?
1: Well, I mean, it it is difficult to make stuff work. And if you look at, for example, a lot of the features that are, a lot of the things that are adding value to iOS are third-party developers creating apps that do things like that, that do some novel little cool thing like, you know, you point your phone at the sky and it shows you where the satellites are and you point it at Spanish and it translates it in, in, you know, Real time video to English for you. And, you know, a lot of things that are interesting, but who knows if they're valuable. But Apple has delegated that to the world. Anybody can come up with ideas and get funding and try to make a product that sells. And a lot of people have done really well with that. And they've introduced really cool ideas on on Apple's platform.
0: This is an interesting topic, and I'll bring it up because this is very much related to what you're talking about. I sent you a link to this article from ZDNet. The real problem for Android developers, they're customers. And we go back to WWDC in the beginning of the keynote where Tim Cook gets out there and gives you stats. He's a numbers guy. He points out that some 10 billion has been paid out to developers, half of that in the last 12 months, that there are 575 million credit card accounts at the App Store, that Apple customers use their smartphone 50% more than other platforms. And I think we've kind of discussed why here, Daniel, which is the fact that it's a more reliable product. And one more thing, which is very important here, 97% of iOS customers are pleased with the platform, of which 73% are very satisfied. And Android doesn't have anywhere near those numbers. And we'll give you another example here. These stats, which state as follows, 10% of iOS developers say they haven't earned a dime on their products, which means 90% do. Pretty good odds. 41% of Android developers haven't made a dime in profit. And the point being here is that Android developers, number one, are not seeing success. Number two, the selection remains crap. Number three, Android users don't use their product as much as an Apple customer uses an iPhone or an iPad. You look at all those web stats showing the vast majority of usage is on the iOS platform, even though it doesn't have all the users. Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider joins us. He'll have a response in our next segment on the Tech Night Out Live. America's
4: number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade.
0: We are the GCN Radio Network. Folks, you'll want to hear this. No matter what size your business, people don't take you seriously unless you have a professional-looking website. You can empower your business with a stunning online presence, and it's free. Join over 30 million people who have built their websites with Wix. Once again, it's completely free. It requires absolutely no design or coding skills. Want to know more? Check out Wix.com. That's W-I-X dot com.
8: It's time to prepare for an uncertain future at the Midwest Self-Reliance Festival, June 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Val Air Ballroom in Des Moines. Tickets are only $6 per day or $12 for a three-day pass. Speakers include Jackie Clay of Backwoods Home Magazine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy of Doom and Bloom, and Jack Spearco of the Survival Podcast. There's 100 free conceal and handgun classes each day, and you'll gain valuable knowledge as you learn how to prepare with beekeeping, soap making, canning supplies, cooking with solar gold and silver seed banks and water purification there's even a free apple seed shoot for the kids check out the longevity booth and the health product line with pharmacist keith abel speaking about natural healthy living the midwest self-reliance festival june 28th 29th and 30th in des moines iowa presented by my patriot supply and sponsored by genesis communications network visit valairballroom.com for tickets and find us on facebook at the midwest self-reliance festival
9: Have you ever consumed protein powder supplements? I have, and all of them don't taste that good. Have artificial flavors, sweeteners, or unhealthy sugars. About a year ago, I was introduced to a new protein powder that changed my experience. This protein powder made me feel noticeably better, and it tasted more delicious than any drink I've ever had. Here's the experience of one satisfied user named Rich.
10: The term best of all worlds has been belabored to death. And yet I've just discovered a whey protein powder that truly deserves to be called best of all worlds. Best taste?
11: By far. Best results? By far. You almost feel like you're cheating that something that tastes that good could be so good for you. Thank you, Stephen, and Cocoon Nutrition.
10: One World Way truly is the best of all worlds. The only way for me.
3: Yours truly, Rich from Georgia. Real user, real happy.
9: Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com.
10: Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
0: Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. you in the Tech Night Out Live. And in the previous segment, Daniel, as you know, I was dropping stats, dropping numbers, pointing out that iOS is a viable, profitable platform. Android isn't. That users of iPhones use their smartphone 50% more than other platforms. They run them longer. They don't just stick them aside and let them languish. I'm sure you have a lot to say about that
1: some people get upset when they when I make the comment that Android is a hobbyist platform. And I've been saying that since 2008. And it hasn't changed. There, there are a few apps. Yeah, there's like the standard apps. You can get Facebook for your Android phone. But there's a lot of apps. In fact, the most interesting things are not available on Android and they're not going to be because there's not a business model to support them. And so you have, you know, you have like cut the rope type Games that are on every platform, they're on Blackberry, they're on Windows phone, you know, but having a few games that have gone out of their exclusive period years ago on iOS is not the same as having a vibrant platform where you can actually fund an idea and come up with something interesting and put it on iOS. And like it's pointing out, that that article, it was noting that the primary way to monetize things on Android is to have it ad-supported. And the reason for that is because there's no real model supporting selling apps because piracy is so big. And that's the whole culture of Android is why pay for things. Well, you pay for things because you want things to get developed. You know, if if you steal food, you know, people aren't going to be making you great food. (laughs) You're going to be stealing the scraps. So there's a whole culture of I don't want to pay for stuff. Well, that's the hobbyist culture, and that's fine. You know, you can have a hobbyist thing, but you're not going to have the same standard of quality. And in other industries, that just wouldn't fly. You can't. You know, you can make your own car, but that's not anywhere near comparing to what car makers are building for people who want to buy cars. Most people don't want to deal with their own car stuff. And so, what, you know, when you look at the device model, it's not going in the direction of. Windows Everywhere kind of development. I mean, this happened with the iPod, and everybody thought, oh, well, you know, Microsoft's coming out with this plays, plays for Sure initiative, that every hardware maker is going to come out with all these innovative things that outdo Apple. And it's like, no, they didn't. And then the same thing happened with the, you know, looking at the iPhone, and everyone's, oh, Android is going to empower all these developers to come up with all this innovation and choice and whatever. All this innovation and choice, remember the, this graphic showing all the different sizes of device that Samsung now makes? I mean, there's just, there's like a constant flow from 4 inches to 11 inches of every inch they have a device. Well, but, you know, if you look at the Samsung Galaxy S4,
0: it's not just one product. They're going to have different sizes, different configurations, maybe even offer a version with a different processor. It's like the S4 is a product line as opposed to a single model, so therefore there should be 20 of them.
1: Yeah, and that really plays into the, the thing that Samsung doesn't know what people want. They're just creating this flurry of products to see what will stick. And it's interesting, I'm talking to different people, and what they're pointing out is that, especially in foreign countries, you, know, you have all these issues with how do you optimize a screen to support a certain language that's you know, different than English. And if you have a whole bunch of different devices, you're doing the same amount of work over and over and over again to make sure that it works good on a six inch screen and a seven inch screen and eight inch screen and a nine inch screen. And you know, there's a certain amount of overhead when, when you have all these different devices and people ask, why does an Apple have like the same flurry of, you know, a big iPhone and a small iPhone and a this and that and whatever. It's like, well, it inter- introduces a whole lot of extra cost and complexity drives your profits down. And it, it's a disservice to users and that, if you make one product, you can focus all your attention on it. And if you make a dozen products, they're all getting a twelfth of your attention. And the other issue to focus in
0: here is, well, let's just take a look at the Samsung Galaxy S3, which was a 4.8-inch screen, and the S4 is a 5-inch screen. So you have two sizes there to optimize software for, just two basic models. But from an end-user standpoint, the screen size is insignificantly different. If you're going to have a screen size, you should focus on something that's vastly different. I mean, 4.1 inches, 4.2, 4.3, whatever. It's just a mess. It's a mess for developers. And from the user standpoint, the difference is unimportant and therefore just makes
1: things all the more murky. And if you look at Android developer guidelines, I mean, Google is really kind of pushing for this sort of hyperdiversity where you have like all these different things. And they're telling developers, oh just make your apps flexible so they work on all these different screens. And what that does is it creates the lowest common denominator app. So you know you have you have an app from somebody and it just has to work across all these different screens. Not only does a you know hardware developer have to come you know, Samsung's dealing with sixty or however many different phones they have. Hardware developers have to or software developer app developers have to address all those Changes too. And individual users are getting a fraction of all those different parties' attentions. The other
0: issue, of course, is just being able to support the features in a specific version of the operating system. So, for example, with iOS, developers know that almost every device that supports that software, which means going back maybe a couple of years, will be updated within weeks. With Android, the latest and greatest versions, the last two versions of Android, which came out, what, last summer, last fall, maybe a third of Android devices use those versions. And all the older editions are running the other products. So you talk about complexity, all that's happening there is that customers can't get the best of the software because a software developer can't build something that works in 4.2 or 4.1 because he's only hitting a third of his audience.
1: Yes, and even, even Google's array of Nexus-branded devices, which is pretty small. I mean, it's, 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 it's not that big of a range of devices that, that carry the Nexus brand. They have known firmware controller problems, and a lot of those devices are not getting the updates that Google knows they need. So if Google can't do it for its own devices, Google's doing the software. Google knows what the problems are, and they're not ruling it out for their own devices. How are they going to do it for all these like generic brands? And how are they going to coordinate with all these other companies that don't see any need to update their software? I mean, Samsung doesn't see any need to update its phones from last year, even when a new release, you know, a major new release comes out. It takes months to get it on the newest phones, and carriers inject another level of complexity because they want to have all their other stuff on there. And adding a new version of the operating system means that they have to rejigger and do all this work. So you have a whole bunch of different parties involved and it doesn't work out for the user. So that's why Apple created this model of reducing the impact that carriers can have on a, on the support of the phone. If carriers want to do something, they can make an app and they can make it work on top of the platform, but Apple controls the platform. And so Apple supports the platform and the devices that it sells. And, and of course, happening. with the Samsung's We're,
0: latest advertising, you wouldn't even know those devices are Android.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's a separate issue is that um, Samsung is trying to look like Apple without having the same kind of strategy and doing the same kind of work that results in a product that works like Apple's do. So, I mean, if Samsung comes out with a device that has a problem, it's like, well, here's the solution. buy another one. It's available in six different sizes. Which one do you want? Well, I know there's a silly
0: email system bug that I saw in the Samsung Galaxy S3. The S4 still has it, even though it uses a different OS version. I got even a Samsung product manager to confirm the existence of the bug. And I won't explain it here. I've done it in past episodes. It's kind of involved, kind of subtle, but very obvious and very silly. And I'm not getting any responses anymore as to when that bug will be fixed because it's still there. So there you go. We've got a lot more to talk about, and especially focusing on the Worldwide Developers Conference from Apple, the Mac Pro, and all the comments about it. A lot more coming. I'm Gene Steinberger on the Tech Night Out Live. <music>
12: The cat got a simple question for you. Can you sell? Yes? Okay. Can you sell the intangible? If yes, and you'd like to work 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, with no overtime, no weekends, if you're passionate about not closing sales, but about opening relationships, if you truly have a desire to serve global clients who need your advertising expertise, and you're local to the Twin Cities and Burnsville, are hardworking, self-driven, with experience in sales, marketing, or advertising, are personable and a whiz on the Phone, GCN wants to talk with you right now. GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is one of the largest independent talk radio networks in the world, and we're hiring right now. We offer benefits and an excellent commission structure. Experience preferred, but we'll train the right person. Is that you? Submit your resume today to advertise at GCNLive.com. Again, that's advertise at GCNLive.com. Come work with the Genesis Communications Network, an equal opportunity employer.
13: So thank you for being a loyal listener. We have a limited time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds. Just pay shipping right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified super seeds that are open pollinated and can be grown, harvested and replanted endlessly these survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still available. That's 123FreeSeeds.com. How's your pH today? are you acidic how alkaline is your blood and body what
12: is the ph of the water you drink we are AlkaVision and we have the answers drinking pure high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining vibrant health and high energy because bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high ph environment if your drinking water isn't at a ph level of eight or higher boost it with AlkaVision plasma ph drops our unique formula will alkalize your water ridding your body of harmful toxins and acid and help regain energy and health simply add 10 drops of Alka. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise the pH of your body to optimal levels. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. Spelled A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 800-518-7615. 800-518-7615. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com.
10: Know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. Just a point of reference Daniel does, I guess, every Saturday an editorial for the Apple Insider at appleinsider.com, and most recently had one on June 16th called What WWDC 2013 Tells Us About Apple. And let's focus on one thing here, of course. We have the brand-new Mac Pro that's upcoming sometime later this year, and there have been lots of pro and con discussions already, part of which is you have a much smaller device, and suddenly you don't have the expandability or at least the internal expandability, and there's a big debate as to whether we need it internally or whether it's just enough to have all those external Thunderbolt 2 ports, and so you can install lots of stuff, at least when they have Thunderbolt 2 products. So what's your take on these
1: discussions? Well, Apple's aware of what customers are asking for, and they have a lot of usage stats as far as what people actually do. And they've been building desktops for you know, a long time. And the PC industry in general has been generating just this kind of formulaic box that has a bunch of slots in it. And I've worked with a lot of different, I've worked with a lot of fleets of hundreds of computers. And the number of people that use those slots is very small. I used to be puzzled, you I, I think I've mentioned this before, you know, you go into a hospital and they have this whole PC sitting there doing whatever work. Why is all that hardware necessary? It's just because that's the cheapest thing to do. Is the whole enchilada? You just have this whole thing with PCI slots and all this stuff. Now, in a pro system, you say, okay, that's even more important because people actually use those slots. You need slots for video, and you need slots for video intake. You know, you're pulling in video and doing jobs like that. But there's a lot of external devices that do that already, and I think for most users, the size of the machine has a is a Kind of important, so if you have this huge I mean you know, like the G5 style Mac Pro, that was a big device, and part of the reason why it's big is because you have multiple processors that each had their own cooling fans, water cooling, whatever, adds a of complexity, adds extra cost, and it adds a lot of size, and when the fans kick on, it's loud. so I yeah. kind of came up with a solution that addresses a lot of those things.
0: Now, if you look at the previous model, the current model of the Mac Pro, the configuration, the basic form factor theme, which is internal slots for drives and for peripheral cards, that goes back to, what, the late 1980s in terms
1: of the original concept of a tower? Well, I mean, PCs were always like that. But if you look at the history of the Mac, I mean, the the first Mac 2 that came out, that was like 1987 or something. Sure, but that
0: was the same thing, just flat. It was uh, was a a, mini tower turn on side. Yeah, it was a box with slots and, yeah, kind of typical PC design. Just made prettier. The point being here that this has been the way they've built PCs for 30 years. And I heard of a survey, I I can't recall where it's from right now, pointing out that on Mac Pros, 80% of the people who buy them don't change anything with maybe they'll swap out a hard drive or they'll add RAM. Yes. Interesting.
1: So what the new what the new Pro gives you is you have slots for RAM, but the storage is SSD. And if you have needs for lots of storage, you more if you're a pro user, you're likely using enterprise cloud infrastructure, you have, you have a, a big server in your system and your on your network, or you have a SAN or, you know, some kind of network attached storage that you're using. We're not still in the nineties. We don't have, you know, every user, every desktop user doesn't need to have a bunch of hard drives installed in their machine. And if you look at video production and, you know, people who are doing high-end tasks, A lot of it is collaborative, and a lot of it requires fast storage. And having it managed in a closet with support for things like failover disks, and, I mean, those are features that you can't address by sticking them inside of a box. If every machine, if every pro user has a machine full of drives, then you now have to manage all those different drives. So it makes a lot of sense to have this storage on the network because um, it's faster Thunderbolt 2 is really fast. You're approaching the speeds of that you can do with something like you know an attachment like SATA. and it has all these other advantages as well. So I mean Apple's aware of this when people are saying, oh we, you know we don't need this it's, I don't think Apple's doing this, this just as sort of a creative exercise. They realize what the needs of users are. You know Apple has a lot of pro users. They realize what people need. And what people are looking for, you know, pro users on a high-end machine, they're looking for something that's fast, and this thing is really fast. And if you have external needs for, you know, getting data in and out of your system from video or what other tasks, or if you have needs for huge storage, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of better alternatives than having a huge box in everyone's desk that's full of individual drives and individual storage cards and things like that. So I think their design, I mean, clearly they know what they're doing. It's their job. Well, also the key here is
0: having solid-state storage inside means whatever you do, even if you grab your files from a network, the processing of those files and anything related to system operations would be razor fast.
1: Yeah, with Thunderbolt, too, I mean, if you're connected to to a storage system, it's really fast. I mean, it's. I mean, even with you know, even with gig gig E, network attached storage, it can be faster than your local disk, because you're working with drives that are so fast over a fast connection. It's really fast. <laughs> so I mean, I think this mindset that a, a computer has to be full of, lots and lots of terabytes of storage, that's a model that I don't think applies to a lot of people anymore. And if you need that, you have a RAID. You set it right up on your on your desk, and there's a cable between it. And so instead of having one, one huge box, you have this little appliance, and you have your storage. And remember
0: think- here, we're not talking about a lot of wires. If you have a RAID box with several drives in it, that's one Thunderbolt cable, and then the AC power. That's all. I also had thought of another possibility here, and I think it can be done, and that is you develop a very pretty module for expansion, an expansion chassis that serves as the base of the Mac Pro, and on the bottom you have room for ventilation and everything. So you insert this cylinder into this large square base, and you have all your peripheral cards if you need it. Even Apple could build one, and that would make it a modular computer in the truest sense. If you don't need that, you don't buy it. But if you do need it, there's one convenient way that Apple or a third party can address expansion, but do it in a way that you can pick up one box and have everything with it.
1: Sure. I mean, if you look at Apple's designs for kind of everything they do, they're not targeting, they're not trying to target everybody on the planet. They're trying to target 80, 90% of the use case, maybe less than that. And, you know, some customers are going to be better served by people putting out cheaper stuff. I mean, there are some people that want a $99 tablet. And that's not probably what Apple's going to be doing in the next few years. And there's other companies that are trying to do it. And you're going to get a $99 experience. But, I mean, we Apple's- already know what the $200 experience is, and it's not yeah. great. So
0: $99, dollars will last a week.
1: But, I mean, the, the general concept is what Apple's focusing on is a part of the market that most people benefit from, and particularly the people that are worthy customers, you know, the people that have money that want to pay for something that's nice. Because it's a lot more rewarding to make a nice product that's profitable than it is to, like, just pump out a bunch of junk. I don't think... That, I mean, Apple's made it really clear that they're not interested in in just pumping out a lot of junk to have market share in the volume category. And the the results of that strategy, that sort of philosophy of what we're going to produce, is that Apple's making three-quarters of the profits of the industries that it's in from computers to uh mobile devices that's pretty exceptional giving given the fact that apple doesn't have huge market share numbers isn't it funny yeah. during all
0: this time all the stuff that apple's reporting great growth in terms of sales better profits than anyone else these platforms which are getting high ratings from customers all this and Wall Street still doesn't like Apple and the stock price started going down at the end of the WWDC and more than a week later it's still going down so no one's getting the message they're not getting the memo over at Wall Street which of course may mean that Wall Street is never getting the memo they give you know Amazon a pass and never makes a profit who knows Daniel Aaron of roughly drafted magazine joins us I'm Gene Steinberg you're in the tech Night How live <music>
9: Utopia Silver understands that mainstream medicine and the rising cost of health care can financially destroy any family. We simply cannot afford to get sick. The only option is to stay healthy. Americans are learning that ill health is not caused by a deficiency of drugs. It's usually the result of a deficiency of minerals, vitamins, proper nutrition, and exercise. UtopiaSilver.com offers colloidal silver and healing protocols for vaccine and radiation poisoning, arthritis, insomnia, and more. If you're sick of unconstitutional government mandates, then stand up now and say no. The time is growing short to put this evil genie back in its bottle. Join Utopia Silver in promoting good health and fighting for our God-given health care rights. Visit UtopiaSilver.com, U-T-O-P-I-A-Silver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338.
6: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. In
0: hey, Our final two segments with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. We're focusing on the Worldwide Developers Conference, first, of course, on Apple's decision to make a a much smaller Mac Pro with blazing power and give you lots of external options if you need to add extra drives or stuff like that. We'll have to see how that works out. and Also, what kind of options are available by third-party developers of hardware once the product comes out, which I guess will be sometime this fall. Then we'll see what happens and how needs are addressed for different customer bases. Let's look at iOS 7. iOS 7... Now, obviously, some people say, well, gee, they really rushed that out because Jonathan Ive gets the assignment to be the head of industrial design, now he's vice president for design, his newest title, back in October, and they whipped this thing out in eight months. But that's not really the case. What they whipped out maybe is the theme change or the interface change. But a lot of the stuff that's in there has been under development for quite some time, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of core technologies that are on a on a plan that have been for some time. Um, the overall appearance is it's kind of interesting that even though it looks radically different in, in a lot of levels, the navigation and the core of it is the same. In terms of, you know, switching between apps is the same. The general interface of going through like, for example, settings or mail or all these different apps hasn't like radically changed to some new different thing. It's simplified away a lot of the ornamentation that was associated with the original iPhone. So when the original iPhone came out, it was this whole new look and feel of a device that was very you know rich and ornamented. But as the focus has gone on to app development, Apple's really scaling back its own kind of Chrome. To focus on apps and users' content, and that's kind of the the theme of what's changing in iOS seven. And when you first see it, it's a bit jarring. When you first start working with it, you think, "Oh wow, this is like really light." And how can people with bad eyesight see this? Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of attention. I mean, Apple's kind of like leading by far in accessibility. So to think that Apple's not, you know, thinking out accessibility in, in the new iOS seven is a bit of a hasty rush to judgment. But as you start using iOS 7, I mean, my initial reaction was kind of like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to work out. But the more you use it, it really grows on you that it's, you're focused on what you're doing, not upon the ornamentation of previous releases. Are you working with the beta? Yeah. Okay, so looking at the beta,
0: and obviously we're talking about something here where he is kind of constrained about what he could tell us he could tell you basically, without violating a non-disclosure agreement with Apple, he could tell you what you already know, what's already on Apple's website about iOS 7. The one thing that surprised me, everyone was saying flat, 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 just like Windows 8 or Windows Phone 8. But it's not really that way. It may be a flat icon over many layers. And you have this transparency and this parallax thing. So when you Tilt the phone, things kind of move in the back. It gives it a livelier feel, doesn't it? More personalization.
1: Yeah, it kind of. To me, it feels kind of luminous. Like everything is, instead of trying to look like a you know like a series of cards or a series of like wood panels or you know realistic things, it's looking like a screen, and instead of trying to give you sort of a, uh, this faux look of other devices. It's looking like a screen that's showing you these different options. And that's something that, you know, Android and Windows Mobile and all these other different experiments are not doing. Windows phone is trying to look like a magazine. And it's, you know, heavy use of color, a lot of squares. It, it makes me think of like a something implemented in Flash. It's very kind of like webby. And Android, you know, the thing about Android is Android doesn't have an appearance. Up until 3.0 or whatever, it was just kind of like whatever anybody wanted to do was considered Android. And and now, you know, with with the latest couple of releases of Android 4, versions of 4, um, Google came out with this hollow appearance that they introduced with, with Honeycomb 3.0. And it has sort of, they're really trying to make make it into, uh, you know, this is the standard appearance of, of Android. But first of all, you have a lot of Android devices that don't even use it. And second of all, a lot of licensees want to put a layer of their own stuff over the top of it. And third, Holo isn't really that consistent. There's like a light appearance and a dark appearance and a mixed appearance. And there's a lot of elements that aren't even in Holo consistently. And... They've come up with these rules of how they're different from iOS. They, they have a whole web page of like, don't look like iOS, look like Holo. And all the things that they're identifying as being, you know, differentiated features of Holo are not things that Apple's copying. In fact, Apple's going the opposite direction. It's a lot of platform advocacy and everybody wants to say, oh, Apple's copying, you know, our stuff because we have all the good ideas. But that's not really the case. If Windows Phone was had all these great ideas, why isn't it selling? And if Android had such a good user interface, why aren't people happy with it?
0: If you look at the user interface statistics about people who like their products, you see that, what is it, in the upper 90s for iOS and maybe the 60s or 70s for Android? And the other factor that Android users are four times more apt to switch, say, to iOS than iOS users are to switch to, say, Android.
1: Yeah. I mean, Android is a lot of, for a lot of people, it's training wheels to a smartphone. It's the, you know, not just in this country, but I've talked to other people. I was talking in Japan, a lot of people that one of the biggest carriers, you know, it's like basically the Verizon of Japan, um, NT Docomo. Um, they don't carry the iPhone and they're still in negotiations with Apple over, you know, they want more control kind of those kind of decisions. Uh, but they're bleeding um, customers every quarter. They're losing customers because they don't have the phone, the iPhone. and they're trying really hard to you know push out a bunch of Samsung phones and you know other phones, Android phones, but they're not working, they're not attracting users. And that's, that's one of the, the key things that Apple has is they have the capacity to attract people to a carrier, and that's why carriers are buying now iPhones and going into long-term contracts and and selling them is because they're getting people to sign up for contracts and people are choosing the the iPhone. So it's not really like Apple is this huge, you know, controls the world and Samsung and all the other Android people are scrappy underdogs trying to take back share. No, it's the opposite. Apple is, has far fewer carrier agreements than even BlackBerry. Or Nokia or Samsung, I think less than half, and yet they 're making the money in the in the in the smartphone industry in the in the phone industry because they have the pull people want their product, people are choosing their product over these existing things that were already in the market that weren 't as good, and that 's really hard to argue against because that 's just there it 's a fact
0: now let 's look of course. On other key things about iOS 7, and that is the the under-the-hood changes, improvements to multitasking, improvements to, I guess, scheduling in the sense that certain operations only happen when you're connected to Wi-Fi or you're downloading data from your ISP. Things are done intelligently, so they don't use more battery life. Not just have totally open multitasking, but smart multitasking. And now we're seeing Apple is switching some of those or adding some of those capabilities over to OS 10 Mavericks. And what this means, we'll get into this more in our next segment, that Mavericks will allow a Mac to run faster. And whatever Mac you have, and it supports models from four to six years old, if you have a notebook, you'll get more battery life out of it. I mean, how often does that ever happen that it makes a computer run faster and more efficiently. You know, who could have thunk it? Daniel Aaron Dilger joining us. He's from Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live.
14: Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
15: They are ready to answer your questions at 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237.
16: It's hard to imagine when things are going reasonably well, just how quickly things can change. But what would it take? Economic collapse, massive crop failure, chemical or biological attack. So many situations could find you in the grocery looking to pick up food for your family only to find that the shelves are empty. There's nothing. Don't let that happen. Act today to make sure that if it ever comes to that, you and your family will be provided for. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com to look at the wide variety of survival foods available. Freeze-dried foods from the Freeze-Dry Guy store longer, rehydrate faster, are nutritionally superior to, and taste better than any other long-term storage food available. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com or call toll-free 866-404-377. Freezedryguy.com.
12: Heart and Body Extract continues to receive positive testimonials from people who have experienced amazing results, like Reed.
10: I just wanted to send you a quick but a very big thank you for Heart and Body Extract. I've been on the formula for nearly a month now, and the improvement in the circulation of my legs has been simply amazing.
12: Reed was facing a tough choice.
10: I was facing surgery. Due to the severity of the 100% blocked arteries in both my legs, and my decision waiting for surgery to say no and try heart and body extract instead has been thankfully the right decision. And the result? I can now walk up steps. Without noticeable
12: pain. Order Heart and Body Extract at 866-295-5305, 866 295 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract, for a long and healthy life.
0: with Daniel Aaron Dilger, our final segment with Daniel on the Tech Night High Live with Gene Steinberg. So the subject I brought up with here is the fact that Apple has devised a smarter multitasking system for iOS to provide the best battery life, which doesn't happen if you just leave everything open and uncontrolled. And they're also using ideas to make use of resources smarter in OS 10 Mavericks. You get more battery life and better performance. I think you have a lot to say about both.
1: Well, there are, there are a lot of, I mean, Apple really has a lead kind of indisputed lead in battery life, both in mobile devices and, um, laptops. And there's a a series of things that are adding to OS 10 Mavericks that enhance this by deferring things. And, um, Focusing priority on what the user's doing. At the same time, there's also techniques being put out to give the appearance of things being faster. So like we were talking earlier about you know, Samsung, their high-end phone having great benchmarks, but when you actually use it, it's not faster. It doesn't feel faster. It doesn't feel twice as fast as the S3. It feels no faster at all. Yeah, so every, every version of the f- iPhone that Apple's come out with, has been about twice as fast in benchmarks, and it feels faster. It probably doesn't feel quite twice as fast, but the things it does do are noticeably faster. You know, when you do something intensive like HDR, and you take a picture, and bam, it's really fast. But the reason why it doesn't feel that faster everywhere is because previous versions of the phone felt faster than they actually were. There's a lot of tricks that Apple does in showing you, like when you launch an app, you immediately see what it looks like before it's even loaded. And Apple's doing a lot of things like that with... In Mavericks, for example, in Safari, and they've, they've announced this, this isn't secret stuff, but preloading a page. So when you do a search that your first hit that comes up is probably what you're looking for. Apple's already loaded in the background. So when you go to it, boom, it's already there. And things like really rapid scrolling. So instead of, you know, you're in a document and stuff's going on in the background, you're trying to scroll and you're trying to read down and it's doing this hesitation and you're waiting for web page to load or whatever it is, Apple's doing... This new thing where they load more information than when you're actually looking at. And then while things are going on in the background, you can look at that information really rapidly. This kind of iOS experience where you're just panning through things really quickly to find what you're looking for because it's all preloaded. So it's a really smart use of resources. We have this interesting combination now of having really fast processors. Really fast components, really fast RAM that's faster than it's ever have been, and of course, of course, it's always everything always gets faster. But at the same time, there's this new constraint for power usage. So if you look at computers in the '90s, you know they just got faster and faster and faster, but they were getting faster powered by these huge, you know, 300 watt power supplies. that like dim the lights when they come on. Once again, I was suggesting using an axe to
0: control things, like for example, with Android operating system and smartphones, they use the most powerful processors to beat the OS into submission.
1: Yeah. And having a, having a really fast processor and having like the latest LTE chips, like the first version that came on Android phones, you know, you have braking rights to this stuff, but your usability goes down because it's using so much power. Like these first generation phones, you're trying to navigate, you have it plugged into your car and it runs dead while you have it plugged into the car because it's using more power than not only the battery can supply, but more power than it can charge. That's the kind of usability trade-off that, in, you know, when you work out the math, doesn't result in a good product experience. So Apple's working in a number of different directions to make sure that things are as efficient as possible, while at the same time not feeling slow. And in, in a lot of cases, it includes having the fastest chips. Because when Apple releases a chip, it's the fastest on the market, pretty much. Maybe not on the Macs, but certainly in, in iOS devices. And yet they're using that efficiently so that they don't have the biggest battery packs, but they have the longest battery life. So, I mean, they're really, they're really coming up with, you know, Microsoft was talking all about how Windows 8 doesn't have any compromises. Well, actually, when you say it doesn't have any compromises, that means it's nothing but compromises. Because you're just trying to hit bullet point features without any regard to how it's actually going to be used. What Apple does is actually they do compromise. They say, which is the best... Where's the best place on this range of places you can be? What's optimal? And that's what they're striving to do. And it's really evident in their products.
0: Well, I'm very intrigued about all the things you're doing with OS 10 Mavericks. And I was reading a little bit of documentation that I can't reveal, but I get the impression here is that a lot of these features don't require developers to do some tricks. They inherit a lot of these things just by running on Mavericks.
1: Yeah, a lot of the, the battery features and everything are on by default. So, in, unless it causes some specific problem that you need to turn off, it's just working and it, and it makes a huge difference. I think a number of people have commented you can just launch a ton of apps on Mavericks. And the amount of memory that you're using I mean, I have a, I don't know what generation is, of it is, but I have a four gigabyte air that you start launching a lot of web pages. And starts getting slow, you start running out of memory. So this compressed memory is a big deal. It allows you to use it really efficiently. And it's interesting, when I wrote about it, that a lot of the comments were you know, people from kind of a Windows background saying, oh, that doesn't matter, you have virtual memory. And what they're not realizing is, yeah, that, that was the case in the 90s, that virtual memory made more sense than compressing stuff that was in memory. But we're now in an era where battery life and efficiency is really important. So if you can avoid copying things to your disk, you're saving power. And so there's a lot of things that Apple's looking at where exactly the the benefit comes from. And they're introducing ideas that probably wouldn't even make sense on Windows because Windows doesn't run on efficient notebooks, it runs on old PCs. And so they're introducing a lot of technologies that are unique to their platform and that are going to give it an edge over other companies that are building similar hardware but don't have the same Mac OS i I'd be
0: interested in seeing when the final version of OS 10 Mavericks is out. We take a notebook, like one of the new MacBook Airs, it gets up to an estimated 12 hours battery life right now. If you buy it now, how will that change with OS
1: 10 Mavericks?
0: Will it be 13 hours? Will it be 14? Will it be more? Very interesting.
1: Yeah, I have seen some people talking about how impact in battery usage and, and you know this is a, this is a developer build so we can't talk about performance then because
0: we don't know and they're going to be bugs and i have a 17 inch macbook pro one of those things they don't build anymore so we know it's not the most power efficient box on the planet and i'm going to want to see what i get what kind of battery life when os 10 mavericks comes out what do you think september
1: i think that's kind of the area they're aiming at yeah
0: mm. all right we'll have to see how that works out
1: it is kind of interesting. You were talking about Wall Street earlier, and I hear all these analysts that are saying, oh, you know, there hasn't been a new product in six months or seven months or whatever. And it's like, do you notice a pattern? Do you notice how Apple releases all of its stuff right before Christmas when people buy it? <laughs> that also helps. Daniel, Aaron Dilger, where do I find more of the stuff that you have? I write for Apple Insider and roughlydrafted.com.
0: And Apple Insidery has those weekly editorials you want to check out. Daniel Aaron Dilger, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me. See
4: America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade.
0: We are the GCN Radio Network.
8: Come to Burnsville, Minnesota to attend the Healthy Body 13 Conference. Two days only. Friday, June 21st at 6 p.m. for the opportunity meeting. And Saturday, June 22nd at 9 a.m. for training by Tom Chenault. Learn about Dr. Joe Wallach, the man who took on the FDA eight times and won on all counts. For details, call 651-695-7750. That's 651-695-7750. Or visit HealthyBody13.com. HealthyBody13.com. Income at home with nutrition done right. Don't miss it. Hi,
3: It's
8: time to prepare for an uncertain future at the Midwest Self-Reliance Festival, June 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Val Air Ballroom in Des Moines. Tickets are only $6 per day or $12 for a three-day pass. Speakers include Jackie Clay of Backwoods Home Magazine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy of Doom and Bloom, and Jack Spearco of the Survival Podcast. There's 100 free conceal and handgun classes each day, and you'll gain valuable knowledge as you learn how to prepare with beekeeping, soap making, canning supplies, cooking with solar gold and silver seed banks and water purification there's even a free apple seed shoot for the kids check out the longevity booth and the health product line with pharmacist keith abel speaking about natural healthy living the midwest self-reliance festival june 28th 29th and 30th in des moines iowa presented by my patriot supply and sponsored by genesis communications network visit valair for tickets and find us on facebook at the midwest self-reliance Festival. What's going to happen next?
10: You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: The subject is online privacy. Our guest is online privacy advocate Mark Weinstein, and he's the founder of a company called Scruples, which is not spelled the way you want. It's spelled dot com, And he'll explain that to you later on so you don't assume it's scruples. In any case, Mark, welcome to the Tech Night How Live. I wanted to have you on the show because of the ongoing concerns we all have about privacy. I mean, you think in the movies they used to deal with this, like this movie with Will Smith, Enemy of the State, and Gene Hackman where they could follow everything he's doing. And then we've got this TV show, Person of Interest, about an all-knowing computer. Okay, so we have that background, and now we're finding out more and more as we hear this news about what the NSA might know about us, that they really do know what we're doing and how we're doing it and where we're hanging out. So the question I would have Mark Weinstein is, have we given up our right to privacy? Is that just history?
11: Gene, this is such an important question. It could be the most important question almost in history. Because if human beings have given up their privacy, if human beings lose privacy, it brings into the whole question about the future of the human race. Imagine a scenario where not only do governments know everything about you, but governments also have your DNA. They know that much about you, because this is also something that is being tried for. Imagine that the government knows your genetic ancestry. They know your ethnic ancestry. They can extrapolate from that your religious ancestry. Imagine that in today's world as well as in all of history, ethnic cleansing has been a terrible and horrific part of corrupt and unscrupulous dictatorships and governments. Imagine a world where the citizens of the world have no power because they're disarmed and the governments have all the information. Imagine the United States, where if we don't like the Tea Party, we can actually start to investigate and perpetuate uh, on on them.
0: Before we go so, on, I don't want to get into the political dialogue of what the IRS did. Okay, right, so, no, we, but of course just, not. But, we we just want to get to the general picture. Well, the point being here is that when did we surrender this right? You know, obviously the IRS whatever caused this particular problem they're having now. When did we surrender all our rights so they could just do all this stuff?
11: Well, it was it was inadvertent. This is an inadvertent, uh, you know, um, coming together of different events. Democracy is historically the protector of privacy. It's historically the where people come to for privacy, for the, the right to be private in their own homes without the Gestapo, without the secret police. Uh, And now what's happened is technology is threatening privacy in democracy. So privacy is an endangered species, not because of a government intrusion, but actually because of technological intrusions, which then provide information inadvertently to governments, to corporations. Remember, the, the intrusion really starts as a corporate intrusion on our privacy when I'm writing a private Gmail to you and they're reading every word that i write and scraping and aggregating data on me and then serving me you know a marketing program based on whatever i may have written so you know where we start to lose privacy really goes back just 10 or 12 years ago when the internet became this incredibly exciting sexy thing we're all taken by it Remember, Gene, the promise of the Internet was that it would simplify our lives. There was, back in the you know, mid and late 90s, there was this dream, this vision that, wow, we were really going to get to the four-day work week. This Internet thing was going to make everything easier. No more letters, no more faxes, no more, you know, just going to make life easier and simpler. Uh, and in fact, of course, it's made life more complex and, and much harder in, in uh, its complexity. But when all that started, when we allowed the internet to be part of our lives, and it was really exciting, then we had things, you know, like social being social online, and people were trying to figure out how do I make money. Facebook came around. How do I make money? I built one of the world's first social network companies. It was called SuperGroups, and we had SuperFamily and SuperFriends.com. We were a PC Magazine top one hundred company three years in a row. How do we make money? So we looked at it. And we came up with our own schematic, our own revenue model. It did not involve scraping data at that time. It was really, we were looking at 98 to 2001. It was about how can we provide people with services that they'll actually pay for, like walking into Whole Foods. You know, they're not spying on us, but they want to have the right product, or even a restaurant. You want to have the right product in the store for your customer. So, uh, But then Facebook comes along, And now the game is changing as they and Google, Google comes along with a search engine, and all of a sudden Google says, wow, we're getting so much information on people. What are we going to do with this? We can actually see what they're searching for when they start this ad model where you pay to have ads next to a person searching for uh, Oakland uh, Athletics tickets. Um, or you know, a new Nikon camera, and all of a sudden there 's an ad that pops up, a paid ad from somebody who paid to be right next to you when you search for a specific item so and then the slippery slope happened where it became this huge infrastructure of ad networks and corporations and aggregating data from different websites about your behavior and putting it all together. And then looking at it, it's so sophisticated today because you might get a Zappos ad if a cookie saw that you were at Zappos, but you might get it when you're at Google. You might get it when you're at Facebook. Where you're going to get it is where the company that's serving it to you is going to make the most money. If
0: I post a message on Facebook or I send a tweet and I say, well, I'm going to go out and get myself a pair of contact lenses get my eyes examined, buy some new contact lenses, I'll see offers (laughs) on websites I visit, which have these targeted ads from Google and from Microsoft Bing, for example, that will mention different online resellers of contact lenses. You know, I can't do anything without them finding out what I'm doing.
11: It's creepy, Gene. This is creepy. So, So the creep factor is here, and that's actually almost like the coined phrase now. You know, when you like something at Facebook, and you're just telling your friends, you know, you like a picture or you like, you know, a, a comment or something, it's immediately Facebook takes that. They try and extrapolate if there's a marketing opportunity there, uh, and then they tell all your friends. A friend of mine checked into a restaurant the other night, you know, through uh, open table. He checked in the restaurant. He had arrived. He let them know he was there by checking in on his phone. The next thing you know, every person connected him at Facebook was alerted that he was at the restaurant and that he liked the restaurant just because he checked into the restaurant to say, I'm here. He was furious, but this is what's happening. He doesn't want the world to know he's at that restaurant. He was letting the restaurant know, the know, I'm here for my table.
0: Now, what makes it more difficult is all of these companies do have privacy settings and Facebook is the worst offender because it changes every other hour. So they have sets of very granular privacy settings that are very difficult nice to understand. And you can hide some of your activities if you click or tap, if you're using a mobile device, the right preference settings. So maybe you don't want people to know if you're in another restaurant. Or maybe you want to limit that to the people you know who you've befriended, but not to the people who are outside of your own circle. You have little circles of friends. In fact, Google, with Google+, Plus, they call them circles. Of course, Google has about three or four different ways of managing your acquaintances. So they can be a family member, they can be an acquaintance, they can be in your circle. And after a while, and you look at this, your mind is in a circle. Your mind spins out of control because you don't know what you've done And you don't know how to get out of it if you do want to get out of it. But we're going to have to get out of this for just a moment. We have Mark Weinstein, online privacy advocate. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
4: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
14: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com.
8: If you owe the IRS back taxes, listen carefully. Sweeping changes to IRS policies will help
4: more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all. And now, thanks to Dan Pillow, You can get the tax help you need to end your tax nightmare.
5: Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce or eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Or go to my website, taxhelponline.com. That's taxhelponline.com.
13: To thank you for being a loyal listener, we have a limited time freebie offer for you. Claim your free heirloom tomato seeds, just pay shipping, right now at 123freeseeds.com. These aren't ordinary seeds. These are heirloom, non-genetically modified super seeds that are open pollinated and can be grown, harvested, and replanted endlessly. These survival seeds are actually more valuable than gold in a crisis. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com and you can get an airtight storage packet of 150 super seeds free while supplies last to say thank you for being a loyal listener. First come, first served. Just cover shipping. Go to 123FreeSeeds.com now to see if your free heirloom seeds are still available. That's 123FreeSeeds.com.
15: You never know what's going to
10: happen next while listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg.
0: Mark Weinstein joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg here in the Tech Night Owl Live focusing on online privacy. So the thing I brought up is here, of course, that there are settings you can make in your web browser. In the various services of which you're a member, such as Facebook. Gene, those don't
11: protect you. They don't. Those don't protect you. No. Th- imagine this for a moment. Google and Facebook are still scraping data on everything that you do, every word that you write, every picture that you post has facial recognition, they're scanning everything that you do, regardless of how tight you put your privacy settings. And also there's sideways in Google Google Plus, their circles are what we call asymmetric. So someone can follow you that you don't even know. Someone can watch you that you don't even know. You'll never know them. They can get access to you. They can follow you. They can watch you. Facebook, even if you tweak your settings super tight and you still have some friends, you know, if they have a friend who sees their feed, chances are that friend is going to get to your feed. It's totally penetrable. But the point is that your privacy settings have nothing to do with the information that they're spying and scraping on you. They know every move. They know everything you say. They're aggregating all of this. And when the government comes in and scrapes all that data from the from Facebook or Google, the government just gets all of everything they've aggregated about you. They get yeah. your whole life.
0: Okay, so let's look at the government and what the limits are. Now, this is what they tell you. It's not always, of course, what the truth might be. So with phone calls, for example, the NSA is collecting the metadata, which is the number you called, how long... The phone call took, and I guess the location, if that location is recorded. Supposedly, they're not recording the contents of your conversation. But can we believe that?
11: You know, I think the answer to that is no. We want to be really mindful about this. There is this element of Big Brother today. Uh, There is this question of, to catch the bad guys, do we have to offend the privacy rights of the good guys? I think Peggy Noonan wrote a great op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal about that this week, where she said, you know, no... We don't, you know, we don't have to violate the privacy rights of the good guys to catch the bad guys. And we have to, you know, come back to a common sense society where we protect the privacy rights of the good people. Now, you know, when they're, when they're grabbing all that data, it's sort of like, and this is government, and then let's go to private Google. Google, when they mapped out Google Maps and they drove around neighborhoods, and then they stole everybody's passwords and email addresses as they were driving through the neighborhoods to mapping out Google Maps, you know they just got fined another I don't know million dollars in Germany for doing this that was just like 2 weeks ago this, you know they've already been fined tens of millions of dollars in the United States you can't trust the corporations or the government unless they have very clear and specific policies and actions that support those policies which is really why I built scruples.com because we have to take privacy back we must take privacy back otherwise It will disappear right before our eyes, and it won't be recoverable. So this is why uh, even the European Union now has this right to be forgotten, which is very important to them. They want to create this right to be forgotten for people. You must be able to be forgotten, law-abiding citizens.
0: We also have to trust that the provider will accept your wishes, because we're seeing, for example, if Google figures they can get all this data and they make a mistake, what is the cost well, the cost is going to be $10 million, drop in the bucket. Okay, we'll pay the $10 million. We don't care. And we'll continue doing it. And maybe they'll catch us again six months from now, and then we'll pay maybe $15 million. And we'll say, we're sorry. But there's no incentive. I mean, if you find them $10 billion, they'd have an incentive.
11: But this is just the cost
0: of doing business.
11: Gene, that's exactly right. That's exactly how they're looking at it. Path, Snapchat, you know, two privacy apps, which, which really are popularizing privacy. Well, Path was founded by one of the co-founders of Facebook. And it turned out that in spite of their pledge that this is really where you could be private, in a private group with your family or your friends, and no one would see it. In fact, what happened was that they were spying on you. They stole all the data on your your friends, your address books, and they spied and scraped data on minors. They've just been fined nearly a million dollars by the Federal Trade Commission, put on probation for 20 years. Snapchat, which kids love. The pictures don't disappear. They actually don't disappear. They're stuck in a folder on your phone. They Again, they lied to their users. It's so egregious. And, you know, it's like, wow, what happened to integrity in business? Luckily, there's a movement in the United States called Conscious Capitalism, building the right companies, doing the right thing. Whole Foods is at the, the head of that. There's lots of great companies doing the right thing because their leaders are true advocates for the purpose and for the mission that they're stating instead of just creating, you know, a company to make a dollar and to pretend that they're for something, that they're conscious.
0: Let me just read this headline from USA Today, which you probably haven't seen, but you get the message. Report, court lets NSA use data snagged inadvertently. They grab it by mistake, they can still use it. Doesn't matter. We wonder how many mistakes they make. Okay, in the remaining few minutes here, what can our listeners do to become private, have private lives again that doesn't involve everybody in the world, people you don't know, spying on you?
11: You know, this is such an important question, Gene. Thank you. Such an important question. Number one is that you really have to manage your public persona. Uh, And that means you really have to look at whether you're using Google as a search engine or whether you're using DuckDuckGo as a search engine. DuckDuckGo is a private search engine. They don't follow you. They don't track you. They're not aggregating your searches. Their founder, Gabriel Weinberg, is truly an advocate for privacy. You've got to look at, are you using Facebook or are you using Scruples? Scruples, we don't have tracking cookies. You own your content. We don't use facial recognition. You can delete your account at any time and it's deleted. Did you know at Facebook you can never delete your account? It's only deactivated at Path. Privacy company supposedly you have to write them a letter and ask them to delete your account. I mean, you really have to choose conscientiously. We have to be conscientious consumers to protect our privacy because we have to take it back.
0: Okay, so what about web browsers? So you're not using Facebook anymore. Maybe you're not using Google or Microsoft Bing. What about web browsers? How do you make it private?
11: So you can adjust the do not track settings on your web browsers. You've also got to be really careful about some fundamentals. So... Look for your do not track settings and turn on do not track. Now, I should tell
0: our listeners, we are recording this episode. And as soon as Mark said, do not track, the connection ended. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we're using a Skype connection and we figure they're watching us. Okay. So don't use the tracking features in your web browser. Use do not track. These are settings different in each browser, but they're easily found. Even yeah, Google's browser use, has it, although it's more buried.
11: It's buried, and they really don't... Remember, they're making their money by tracking... By the way, it is a myth, Gene. It's a myth that companies need to spy on you and scrape your data in order to make money. That's a myth per, you know, perpetrated on us by the Facebooks and the Googles. It's a lie. If you give people the right services, they will buy extra services. This is actually how we've always lived in the world. Restaurants, hardware stores, auto dealerships. You've got to provide people what they want. So what you want to do is really also your passwords. You really have to do some simple things like don't use the same password everywhere. Don't just use your Facebook password or your Twitter password to log in everywhere else. Have different unique passwords because if somebody steals your password and you've used it for all your accounts, you're in big trouble. So don't do that. So you know there's just some fundamentals that you can do. You can go to a company like reputation.com or safeshepherd.com. And have them clean up your reputation online and, you know, make companies take off. Ask people to to untag you on Facebook so that you're not tagged. Remember, at Facebook, one simple picture, and ABC News proved this. A picture of a a kid in a daycare center, just a picture inside a daycare center, ABC News was able to find that exact daycare center, the village, the street, the state, everything, just from a picture. Don't do that anymore.
0: They do it on TV. I mean... You look at when they're trying to find a criminal on CSI or any of these procedural dramas. They check their Facebook. They check their Twitter. They check the cameras at the ATM machine. They want to find you. They will. You can't get away from it. Tell our listeners what Scruples is all about.
11: So Scruples is the world's privacy-centric social platform that replicates your real life online. It's where you connect discreetly with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your book clubs, your sports, your hobbyists, your teams. And they're all separated. You separate them. Everybody, we don't believe you have a thousand friends, but you may have a thousand contacts. And at Scruples, you can direct message them or you can put them in the discrete communities that they belong in, just like in your real life. And you decide the permission levels for who sees what. There's no, you know, no mistakes made. And we're not tracking you. You own your content. You can delete it at any time. You can share discussions and photos and videos and documents and create documents. Companies use us as an internet. You know, uh, kids use us because you want to be private. You don't want your grandmother seeing something that she's not supposed to see. You don't want your girlfriend seeing something she's not supposed to see. You can find us at scruples.com. That's S-G-R-O-U-P-L-E-S dot com. We're the world's private social network.
0: Mark Weinstein, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you, Gene.
17: Seen them on Doomsday Preppers. You've seen them on network television, Shipping Wars, and the History Channel. Now, now, the strongest shelters money can buy are here atlas survival shelters made in america from 10 foot diameter galvanized corrugated pipe up to 11 times stronger than square box shelters and built to last up to 200 years and you won't believe the amenities atlas shelters contain microwaves refrigerators big screen tvs water tanks septic systems bulletproof hatches and much more virtually everything you have at home just buried 20 feet deep and bomb proof See the amazing Atlas Survival Shelters at Atlas Survival com or call 1 855 4 BUNKER. That's 855 4 BUNKER or Atlas Survival Shelters.com. Financing now available. Atlas Survival Shelters. Better prepared than scared.
6: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: Daniel Berg returns to us on the Tech Night Owl Live. He's a tech journalist who has written many fascinating articles that we'll be talking about through the course of this episode. Welcome back, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, there's an article that you recently wrote over at Laptop Magazine, mm-hmm. and it's entitled, The Government is Watching You, Eight Ways to Disappear Online. Now, I should tell you in advance that our previous segment was about online privacy. Okay? Well, yeah, it's
18: a, it's a big topic, and it's really important right now, so I can see why.
0: We were talking to a fellow named Mark Weinstein And he has an online site, kind of a social networking site, where supposedly they don't track you. You own your own content. You don't get targeted ads, that sort of thing. So, okay, you want to disappear online. And right now, you know, I don't know how to disappear at all anymore. It's come to a point where wherever you are, they're watching you. It's like that old song from a group called the Cadillacs. Back in the 1950s, it was really about, you know, looking for someone who was cheating on somebody else. But they had the line, peek I'm watching you. Okay? I know that song is way, way, way before your time and probably before your parents' time. But anyway, let's go into this article. Number one of the eight ways to disappear online is something called Silent Circle. What's that?
18: Yeah, I included this. This is an application. It's for uh, iOS and Android. And basically what it allows you to do is have all of your communications to and from your cell phone or other people's cell phones that are within this network be encrypted. And so no outside access can actually see anything that you're saying, pick up any of those video messages, those text messages, voice calls. uh, And it just is a great way to encrypt your data communication and your voice communication. Now, is this complicated to install? How is it set up? No, it's, it's just an app. And um, you actually, rather than using your default uh, phone app within uh, whatever phone you're using, you use their software in order to make the calls, in order to send the messages. So your phone can kind of be double. It can be both uh, encrypted uh, communication as well as non-encrypted, which would be just like you pull out your phone and use it every day.
0: Now, the person on the other end of the call, do they have
18: to be running the app too? For the highest security, you would, uh yes, need them to be a subscriber too. Although there is a plan where you can make calls outside of the network and your end of the communication from your phone to Silent Circle's uh, servers is encrypted. But then obviously when it's going to their phone, it's going to be unencrypted. So that's not really ideal if you're dealing with anything that you really need to keep sensitive. But it is an option uh that you have. I always wonder when I call my son in
0: Spain, and we communicate mostly by Skype so as not to pay Mm -hmm. the horrendous long-distance phone charges, is that secure? (laughs) Skype is owned by Uh,
18: Microsoft, so there's the security. Yeah, I think with all of the news that's coming out about the NSA and everything that they're doing, I think the safest bet is to assume that none of your communication that you have online is secure. Uh, That is definitely the stance that I'm taking in terms of uh, uh, this privacy software and uh, where things are right now. We assume unless you hear otherwise, they know what you're doing. Okay, number two.
0: And we're going to do a show with these people in the near future. Tour project. It sounds like something out of a science fiction novel. What is the tour project? Tor is
18: amazing. It's it's a project that was uh, originally created for the U.S. Navy, but it's since been kind of opened up, and it is a way to connect to the internet where your connection cannot be traced. And so there's a bunch of nodes that your traffic goes from one node to the next to the next all over the world, and along the way, all of your traffic is kind of erasing its footprints. So by the time it gets to where it needs to be, or it's coming back to you, there's there's no way of telling where that uh, request came from and uh, it's a software that's used by the u.s government it's used by people like journalists for just everywhere to have secure communication so it's trusted by all these major big organizations but it's also free to use free to download and uh, everybody can jump on and kind of have more secure browsing now
0: i'm trying to understand this you can explain to me better is this a peer-to-peer network of some
18: sort it's decentralized um How it works is you connect to uh, a bunch of people that are running different nodes for the Tor network. And um, you can actually set one up uh, using just like Amazon uh, EC2, like Amazon cloud hosting. You can just have uh, a server that hosts a node and then just traffic gets cycled through there. So it's not really peer to peer. It's kind of like internet traffic. If your internet traffic was going hundred or a thousand different places before actually getting back and forth. So it is significantly slower than if you were to browse normally, but you get the extra bonus of things being a lot more secure. That being said, too, the government obviously uses Tor, so they know about Tor. So uh, a lot of the exit nodes. So like if you go to visit a website, it's going to be... Pinging around to a bunch of different nodes. And then the very last node that it leaves in order to actually get the web page that you request, uh, a lot of those are being monitored. Um, so they can kind of see if the requests are going to be dangerous or, or something that they're actually interested in tracking. But it's pretty much, or it is 100% impossible to trace that back to you. But th- they do know about this and they're looking at it. So I, as of right now, you can still use it. But I, I guess I wouldn't trust it forever. So it seems to me like any one of these solutions,
0: they are temporary. There'll always be a workaround. Okay. Now, the next one is something that Mark Weinstein mentioned in our previous segment Duck, Duck, Go. And I don't want to say this place is run by quacks, (laughs) but tell me what it's all about. Duck, Duck, Go. It's a search engine, right?
18: Yeah. It's basically trying to be just like Google, except not actually tracking any of your information, storing any logs or files, or giving you that personalization. So it's really great for getting a, first of all, just an unbiased uh, approach to the web. So if you search for something, you're not going to be influenced by a search that you had a month ago or a week ago. You're going to actually see the web as the search engine ranks it. Um, But also it's great because, your logs aren't going to be sitting in some database somewhere and open to a request from the government or from whomever.
0: Now, DuckDuckGo, they also offer a Safari extension. So does that mean that if you're
18: using Safari, you could basically make that your default search engine? Yeah, I believe so. And I know a lot of people are doing this, especially after the um, big NSA leak. Uh, A bunch of people switched over to DuckDuckGo and their traffic just shot up a a bunch. I'm going to have to check that out. Duck, duck, Mm -hmm. com.
0: So give it a try Mm -hmm. and maybe your internet presence will go to the ducks, but we'll have to see how it works back to tour because now there's Mm -hmm. also something called tour mail. Okay. Yeah.
18: Now tour mail isn't associated at all with tour. It's, It's made by a different company, but the only way to access it is through the tour network. So, the best way to think about it is if you're browsing websites just as usual, you're going to uh, whatever URL.com and .com or .net or .org, that's how you know you're on the open web. Uh, in order to get to the Tor network, the addresses are actually .onion. So This is a string of characters .onion to visit the Tor mail site, and it can only be accessed through the Tor network and through this .onion address, and you can sign up and get an email address that Similar to the Tor network, will hide the actual servers of where all the emails are stored. So you can only access your mail through the Tor network, and it's going to be a lot more secure than, say, Gmail or Yahoo Mail or all those other ones. So it is an email address that relates to the Tor network. Yeah, anybody can email you, so you'll get uh, whatever you want at tormail.org. That'll be the address that anybody can send you email, but. Only you can access that through the Tor network. So if there is, say, uh, somebody trying to get into your friend's email account and they emailed you, of course, they'll still be able to see that outgoing email. But if it's, say, from a Tor mail uh, account to a Tor mail account, that's going to be completely hidden. All right. Okay. That, of course, is Tor
0: mail. Mm -hmm. All right. The next one is mega file storage. Now, before we go on here, question I have to ask you is, and I'm just one of many, I have to ask you about online storage, but before I do, Daniel Berg, tech writer, mm-hmm. joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Oh.
19: of buying gold and silver again the global elite have plans for your money and it doesn't include you so call me gary cooper at 1-800-686-2237 extension 130 and i will send you a booklet with 10 reasons why gold and silver could be right for you again don't get caught with money in your account when the next bank bailout hits call me gary cooper at 1-800-686-2237 extension 130 a simple question for you Can you sell? Yes, okay.
12: Can you sell the intangible? If yes, and you'd like to work nine to five Monday through Friday with no overtime, no weekends, if you're passionate about not closing sales but about opening relationships, if you truly have a desire to serve global clients who need your advertising expertise, and you're local to the Twin Cities and Burnsville, are hard working, self driven, with experience in sales, marketing, or advertising, are personable, and a whiz on the phone. Phone, GCN wants to talk with you right now. GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is one of the largest independent talk radio networks in the world, and we're hiring right now. We offer benefits and an excellent commission structure. Experience preferred, but we'll train the right person. Is that you? Submit your resume today to advertise at gcnlive.com. Again, that's advertise at gcnlive.com.
9: Come work with the Genesis Communications Network, an equal opportunity employer. Hi, my name is Stephen Heuer. As a degreed nutritionist, my first priority is for you to get healthy. That won't happen if I make wrong recommendations or cause you to spend money on supplements you don't need. After 20 years working with thousands of products and thousands of people, I know, for the most part, what does and does not work. One World Whey is the first and only unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows on the market. It retains substances that no other whey protein powder has. These nutritive compounds supply life-giving nutrition. Your body merely needs the right conditions to make great health happen due to low quality foods toxicity and aging having great health is more of an effort than ever one world way is the superfood of the century and when added to your diet it promotes energy detoxification muscle gains fat loss and overall radiant health call 888-988-3325 that's 888-988-3325 or visit oneworldway.com that's one world,
0: We have tech journalist Daniel Berg joining us. He has an article recently published by a Laptop Magazine called The Government is Watching You, Eight Ways to Disappear Online. Or as they said in that song, Peekaboo, I'm Watching You. And we're going to talk about mega file storage. But before we do, if I'm putting my files online, and you have these various firms that do online backup. Now, we hope your data is safe, depends on the company. But can they, being the government, whatever, get a hold of your files
18: that way? Is it safe? Yeah. No, they can look at your files if they want to. Um, That's what's coming forward into light right now. I mean, there are secret courts that they go to and they ask permission, but they've never been said no to, and then they'll just go in. Basically, if Crash Plan or Carbonite or any of
0: these places gets a subpoena, From the government says we got to have gene steinberg's files they got to give them
18: none of those companies have specifically come out right or been in any of the leaks as being a part of this so i can't speak for them specifically but for the companies that we know have been uh asked by the government for information it's all been under tight lip they haven't been able to talk about it and uh, yahoo i know tried to uh, appeal this in the courts and lost so as of right now the knowledge that's out there would make me think that most companies wouldn't have much of a choice okay so what is mega file storage so this is actually created by kim.com who uh there was a big bust uh because of his previous site which was mega upload and so that website got taken down for file sharing and piracy and that that's a whole mess right now uh because he's been giving back all the stuff. He's free and all this. But he created a new website that's just simply called Mega. And it's similar to uh, a file storage. So I wouldn't say a Dropbox as much as like a Google Drive, where you can just upload stuff and have it hosted elsewhere. But the thing that makes Mega unique is they have encryption, and the encryption is actually going to be browser-based. So that means that you're not relying on their computer to encrypt Your uh, files that you're uploading, you're actually encrypting it on your own computer before it actually goes to them. So only you have the key to unlock that. So they're going to get the file, but Mega is going to have no idea what those files are, and, and they have no way of telling. So it's kind of smart because they're both protecting themselves as well as the users because nobody knows what the files are except for you, the person that uploaded them.
0: All right. That's one more way to stay away. Uh, This solution, the next one, is something that's been around for a long, long time, PGP Mm -hmm. encryption. And we're talking about here public keys, private keys. And every time I see somebody on TV explaining this to the public, they mess it up because it's too complicated. So let's assume that our listeners are smarter than I am, which is very likely true. We assume that most are. Okay, our listeners want to encrypt their mail, make sure that whatever is out there doesn't see it. PGP encryption.
18: How do you get it? How does it work? PGP encryption or pretty good privacy is what it stands for. It is, um like a, a software suite that you can download. Once you set it up, you get what's known as a private key and a public key. And so the private key is yours. It's hidden. Nobody can see it. But the public key you can share with somebody else. And it's a huge, huge block of a bunch of different characters. And then what the other person can do is use that private key, like paste it in, and then write their message and then encrypt it. And then only the person that has the private key that pairs with that public key can open it, if you're able to follow that at all. Um, But right now, this is pretty much the standard, what what people use for encrypting their messages, because it's one of the most secure out there. This is one of
0: those places where the level of encryption is more than you would ever need and would take many years to decrypt it.
18: Exactly, yeah, especially if you don't have the uh, private code. That being said, with PGP encryption, it, it is a, quite a steep learning barrier to get into. Uh, I've used it a few times personally just to encrypt messages, but it's still not something that I completely understand how to use. So, like, you can get up and running, you're like, okay, this sit spit out a code and somebody else can read it, but it is quite a learning curve to get it set up, that's for sure.
0: That explains why the TV talking heads try to talk about this thing and they just fall in their face. All right, the next one is something you hear about on every TV procedural, which is the burner phone. Oh, that criminal got a burner phone so we can't track him. What is burner phone, though? It's not a phone, is it?
18: Yeah, this is an actual phone. Okay. Um, This company is actually selling you. Uh, a disposable telephone that can be activated or that is activated for 30 days. And so you get unlimited voice and unlimited text for that 30 days. Then once it's up, you can just throw it away and you can get this on their uh, website. It costs, what is it? $75. And they mail you the phone. You can actually even buy it with bitcoins, which is the anonymous online currency. And uh,
0: we'll get to bitcoins in a moment here because I need to understand uh that too. Okay. Burner phone. So is this something like you could, in theory, get a new burner phone every month with a new phone number?
18: Yeah, definitely. If you definitely want to keep yourself private, your communication private. I believe each time you do that, you get a new phone number, so you're going to have to keep updating the people that you want to communicate with with your new contact information. But theoretically, every 30 days, you can get one of these phones, and they wouldn't really be able to tie it to you.
0: Okay, so within those 30 days, could they get a hold of you? Or if the people at burner phone got... The subpoena, they'll just ignore it? That is actually a good question.
18: I'm not sure exactly how they handle all that kind of stuff or how traceable it is during that 30-day time period. But to my knowledge, it takes a little bit longer from what I would think. Although, with all the new stuff that's coming out, I'm not actually 100% sure. But it's definitely a way safer way to go than your monthly plan or even the the prepaid phones you'd buy in the store.
0: Unfortunately, there's a stench with burner phones, which is that only criminals use them not just people who just mm-hmm. want to stay off the grid for whatever reason or have a feeling that they'd like to have some sort of privacy.
18: Yeah, These days, there's a lot... More reasons to get them, though, Uh, there was an app called the Burner app that came out recently that allows people to use their iPhone to get a temporary number and kind of use that as much as they need it and then just get rid of it. And a lot of the use cases were, okay. you're selling your television on Craigslist and you're going to be meeting up with these people who are interested in your television, but you don't want to give them your personal phone number or you're doing uh, you're going on dates and you're dating and you don't want to give these people, strangers that you're meeting, your actual telephone number. So there's a lot of reasons that are legitimate. And I think that the use of burner phones is uh, there's still the stigma there, but there's not as much of the suspicion, although there might be. But I, I, there, there are a lot of legitimate uses that you can talk about.
0: And sometimes you just need a phone for a month. And yeah, that's exactly. it. It's a very benign reason. You need a phone for a month. And this is a quick way to get it, and that's where you go. We'll go into more of this in a moment. In our next segment, we're going to talk about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is, I think, a little confusing to some people, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around what that means. The article, by the way, is called The Government is Watching You, Eight Ways to Disappear Online. Now, I have to tell you, Daniel Berg has not disappeared. I see his picture in my Skype connection. And that's okay because I try to hide my picture because I don't cast a reflection. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. America's number
4: one source for independent talk radio for over a decade.
0: We are the GCN Radio Network. Folks, you'll want to hear this. No matter what size your business... People don't take you seriously unless you have a professional looking website. You can empower your business with a stunning online presence and it's free. Join over 30 million people who have built their websites with Wix. Once again, it's completely free. It requires absolutely no design or coding skills. Want to know more? Check out Wix.com. That's W-I-X. Radio.
20: it's
16: hard to imagine when things are going reasonably well just how quickly things can change but what would it take economic collapse massive crop failure chemical or biological attack so many situations could find you in the grocery looking to pick up food for your family only to find that the shelves are empty there's nothing don't let that happen Act today to make sure that if it ever comes to that, you and your family will be provided for. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com to look at the wide variety of survival foods available. Freeze-dried foods from the Freeze-Dry Guy store longer, rehydrate faster, are nutritionally superior to, and taste better than any other long-term storage food available. Visit FreezeDryGuy.com or call toll-free 866-404-377.
21: Six six three of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com. spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, TerraGanics.com, or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM-1, the raw probiotic.
10: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl live. Daniel Berg joining us, a tech writer. He has this fascinating article called The Government is Watching You eight ways to disappear online written for laptop magazine at dot com. bitcoin now let's do bitcoin 101 here i'd like to understand it better i mean i get the basic concept but the execution is pretty arcane isn't it
18: it is a bit difficult to understand um It's funny. I was noticing this the other day. Whenever you have news articles that are talking about Bitcoin, they're always showing a picture of a coin that has a little Bitcoin logo on it. And I feel like that's a lot more confusing than actually just talking about what Bitcoin is, because there is no physical entity at all. It's all completely digital. But in the same way that you would have cash in your wallet, you have a digital wallet that has the digital cash. And let's say you lose that wallet. You actually lose all the money that's in there. So it, it's very much like cash, but Bitcoins are going to be created uh, digitally and, and through complex algorithms that take a lot of GPU power to kind of compute and get Bitcoins. But once you have them, uh, it's in your wallet, basically similar to the PGP encryption in terms of having a public key and a private key. So that, that's how uh, Bitcoins are assigned to your specific wallet. And then you can send that to somebody else by typing in their uh, string of characters for their Bitcoin wallet address, and then it gets sent to them. And there's a whole network of computers that are kind of checking the blockchain, is what, is what it's called, and, and that's all the transaction history. So they guarantee that there's no double spends, so you're not spending the same Bitcoin twice, and kind of keeping the entire history of the currency accurate. Every single transaction in Bitcoin is publicly available, but the information of who is sending it to who and all of that is completely private, which is why it's a a really good online currency for remaining anonymous, similar to cash.
0: Okay, but Bitcoin at this point in time, is the value, the equivalent value, or is there an equivalent value, is the value stable or is it basically varying all over the place like gold or silver?
18: It's completely all over the place. Um, I would say that for the past maybe month, month and a half, it stabilized for the most most part. It's around uh, 108 U.S. dollars for one Bitcoin right now. But in the past, I, I would say maybe even four or five months ago, it was up to about 250 uh, U.S. dollars for one Bitcoin was the highest. And then it kind of dropped back down. And for, I'd say, uh, a year or two before that, it was like four or five dollars for a Bitcoin. So if you got a bunch of Bitcoins back then, you're very happy right now. But... Yeah, it's kind of all over the place. The word is kind of getting out about it, and more and more merchants are accepting it. it. It's kind of fluctuating all over the place.
0: But that, of course, kind of inhibits its value because you can't depend on a specific amount of Bitcoin to be the same thing a month from now. You don't know if it's going to go up. You don't know if it's going to go down. It's kind of early in the game.
18: I would say investing in Bitcoin right now is not really the best idea just because of that reason. But I would say that if you want to, say, buy the burner phone and you don't want it tracked to you, going out, buying bitcoins and then using those bitcoins to immediately purchase the phone, that'll be a good reason. Or or doing any other sort of anonymous transaction, kind of using it as a temporary currency to buy something online and to make a transaction while still remaining anonymous.
0: And again, this kind of leads the same impression as the burner phone, which is people whose intentions are not honest will flock to this kind of thing.
18: Yes, that's true. And uh, so far they have been. But at the same time, it's a good tool for freedom and online freedom. So you can't take that away or you shouldn't take that away just because some people can do some bad things if they want.
0: With Bitcoin, is there an easy way to translate it back into dollars? Say I know that the Bitcoin value is high now. It's, as you say, a hundred some odd dollars for one Bitcoin and you want to get your money you want to cash out can you easily cash out and convert it back to dollars or euros or whatever
18: it depends on your definition of easily there is the main website right now for uh, the buying and selling of bitcoins is a place called mount gox and it's mtgox.com and it Kind of like stock markets, except you do actual trades for bitcoins. And they actually had some issues with their banks right now, so they're no longer paying out in U.S. dollars because their banks have been overwhelmed by their requests and haven't had enough money to give out. So they're currently working on a solution to that. So that should only be temporary. But basically, you go on there and you can fund the account, you can withdraw the account, and kind of do all your transactions. But there's also a, a website called Local Bitcoin and uh, oh, Local Bitcoins. So it's plural. And you can go there and kind of search for uh, either somebody selling or a potential buyer for your Bitcoins. And usually you're going to pay a little bit above what the market value is. But you get the convenience of meeting somebody at a coffee shop and then transferring you Bitcoins and you handing them some money or vice versa. You can kind of do it completely anonymous. And there's been I know a bunch bunch of successful transactions that have happened on localbitcoins.com. Okay,
0: it's called Buy and Sell Bitcoins
18: Anywhere, and it
0: shows the various values like $106 to $115 to buy bitcoins in different locations, Mm -hmm. sometimes as much as $119, and what happens if you sell them? And you 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 can sell them for as little as $98, there are several services that will convert your bitcoins to PayPal, Mm -hmm. it's really complicated. Where do you think it's going to go? Is this a fad or is this something that may take over the money system?
18: It's really hard to tell. I, I think that only time will tell. But I, I do know that my support is definitely behind Bitcoin. and I'm, I'm rooting for it.
0: Are you rooting for Apple's solution to the Mac Pro? At the WWDC, we finally hear about the Mac Pro. Let me preface this by an article, and I gave you a link to this, at Mac's only website that's run by a fellow named Bill Fox. And he pointed out that the measurements of the failed Power Mac G4 Cube from 2000 and 2001 and the 2013 Mac Pro are fairly similar. They are within one inch of one another, even though the former is squared off and the latter the mac pro is a cylinder but in physical measurements they're not that far apart so is this going to be requiem for the power mac g4 cube
18: i i would say no i think that the mac pro is coming out at a very different time and uh, the mac pro hasn't seen an update in a very 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 long time and the people that want and use and love the Mac pros for just itching for something new. And, and this computer with, with all of its specs, I mean, it, in a lot of respects, it's even more powerful than a lot of people would need. But I, I feel like I feel, I feel I'm feeling good about the Mac pro. I'm, I'm feeling like it's a, it's a great machine. We'll just see what the actual cost is because I have a feeling it's going to be exorbitant.
0: I think it's going to be 49.99 for the basic Ooh, model with 16 gigabytes of RAM because of the Fire Pro graphics chips because those graphic cards, you just buy the straight graphic card from AMD, they cost a pretty penny. So forty nine ninety nine dollars yeah. entry-level price, or maybe $39.99, but not $2,500 like it is now. It's going to be expensive. But the other question, of course, we all have about the Mac Pro is it's all about external expansion. The current Mac Pro, Mm -hmm. you can add some PCI graphics cards or audio capture cards, whatever. You can add up to four hard drives, two internal optical drives. With the new Mac Pro, you can add four RAM sticks of up to 32 gigabytes apiece. You could remove the PCI-based flash memory storage card and replace it with a larger one. You've got lots of external ports, six thunderbolt 2 four usb hdmi a pair of ethernet i remembered all this i don't have a cheat sheet by the way i don't know why i remember all this but it's the Not logic good. of everything external except for memory and the basic internal drive and everything else is external let's argue that or discuss it daniel berg joining me i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night out live
4: Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
14: Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors classic science fiction at its best available now for more details visit Rockoids.com that's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com
5: if you owe the IRS back taxes listen carefully sweeping changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever eliminate their tax debts once and for all and now I can help you reduce or eliminate your tax debts and end your tax nightmare Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I've helped thousands of people reduce and eliminate tax debts they couldn't pay. And after more than 30 years of experience dealing with the IRS, I can tell you there's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. And with the IRS's new policies, it's easier than ever to put your tax debt behind you once and for all. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you.
4: That's 870-784-3121. Renovation
15: Tees. Renovate your health one bag at a time. I had tried everything. I'd cut back the amount of food I was eating. I was lifting weights and jogging, but nothing was working. My body was literally starving for minerals and trace elements as well as key vitamins. And as soon as I had that, I immediately could eat half of what I was eating previously and be satisfied. Now, there are hundreds of great products at InfoWarsTeam.com, but I want to point out the three that have helped me lose 37 pounds in just two months products like beyond tangy tangerine pollen burst and rebound when i started taking the tangy tangerine and other products every day i lost more than 37 pounds in just two months now that's results i want to challenge my listeners to go to InfowarsTeam.com and to order just three of their products and you will see the changes in the way you look feel and in your appetite almost immediately start your journey to health and wellness today InfowarsTeam.com.
10: You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: Daniel Berg joining us. I'm Gene Steinberg during the Tech Night Owl Live. This is our final segment of the show this week. So, the question of the Mac Pro internal expansion, everything in a big box versus putting most everything in a relatively light and small cylinder. Is Apple taking the right approach?
18: The thing that's really compelling about this design and the choices that they've made is this computer has absolutely zero spinning parts in it. So They were able to design this without... It's going to be able to stay a lot cooler, even though the graphics cards are going to get kind of hot. But it's going to be... From what they were saying, and my guess when it comes out, it's going to be a lot quieter and cooler... And just an overall more stable computer. But at the same time, like you were saying, it really relies heavily on external ports. Each of those external machines aren't necessarily going to stay as cool as the Mac Pro. So it's it's going to be an issue of, okay, well, you still have the same stuff with the computer, except now you have a lot more cords and wires. Also, we're still waiting to see uh, for a retina display for this, because I know that they can output, uh, a, what was it, like a 4K monitor? but uh, Apple does actually have one. Three 4K okay.
0: monitors. And 4K is the new, by the way, high-definition TV standard. And right now, mm-hmm. it doesn't make much sense because there's very low content for it. But the TV makers are coming out with 4K sets starting at, you know, a few thousand dollars. What Apple said is the graphics cards can handle up to three 4K displays, which is important for video editors.
18: Yeah, but the the thing that interests me is apple doesn't actually have a 4k monitor they don't sell it and that surprises me because i thought that they would want to get it on that just like they had their other cinema displays and especially with them being the first smartphone to have the retina the really high resolution monitor i expect them to definitely get in on that soon i would say so that that's interesting to me as well well
0: remember this is still what two three four months away from release It's quite possible that when it comes out, Apple will produce a line of retina display monitors to go with it. And that would be my guess. Yeah, that would be my guess. So the question is here, will people give up their iMacs for this? And I kind of think not. I think that there is a subset of Mac users who require rendering. And now we're seeing more and more of those applications. I forget which one. The one they use with Avatar to create the special effects, that's moving to the Mac. So more and more professionals are coming to the Mac even more than before. So I don't know. Maybe this is going to be it.
18: I don't think the iMac customers are who Apple is going after with the Mac Pro. Like you were saying, it's definitely for the professionals, and it's going to be for the video editors, for the graphic people, for the heavy-duty gamers, all of those people that really require a bunch of graphics. This is going to be able to give them... It's pushing the envelope. It's like getting the... Uh, exotic expensive car because uh, it has all the souped out specs and a uh, very little trunk room. It definitely is like a step above and much more than most people would actually need and use. It's like
0: having the halo vehicle. Like of course GM has the Corvette, the Chevy Corvette. And that's not mm-hmm. something that a lot of people buy. It's a small number of people buy. You have a Lamborghini. Yeah. I mean, how many people buy that car, but you have different automakers that have, these prestigious vehicles where they test new technologies and occasionally they filter down to the lesser people the people who only have real money not phantom money as they say let's mm-hmm. move on to just a couple of things here WWDC how you like iOS 7 with the new I don't know if you call it flatter because it is actually complicated it is flat but it looks almost three-dimensional
18: yeah there's layers it, it- It's not exactly a flat design. It's definitely layered. The new design is interesting. I'm not in love with it yet. Um, I think that a lot of the icons could use a lot of design work. I'm not 100% happy with all of that kind of stuff. But that being said, people spend a very little amount of time looking at their home screen and more on their home screen so they can open an app and actually use an application. But it's interesting to me because I like it and... After kind of seeing it, you look at your old phone and it just it feels a lot older, which was an interesting experience to me. But it's interesting because they copied a lot of stuff from Microsoft and from Windows 8 um, in terms of like the swipe back gesture and the whole design aesthetic is very much a response to what I was seeing in Windows 8 which uh, is interesting to me and I, I actually like it because last time I was on the show I was talking about how I actually don't mind Windows 8 and I, I see a lot of Windows 8 in iOS 7
0: now moving very quickly moving very quickly to OS 10 mavericks were you surprised they go to place names as opposed to cats uh,
18: I wasn't surprised that they made the move away from cats I was surprised they chose such a horrible name when I I heard uh, I was just reading the uh, a live blog of it from The Verge, and I wasn't actually watching the live stream because the live stream wasn't working for me. So I was reading the lines, and I couldn't tell what was the joke, because first they announced it as Sea Lion. And I was kind of like, well, that's an interesting name. And then they introduced it. The real one is Maverick. But from reading just the messages, I couldn't actually tell. And I was like, wait, which is the joke? I don't get it. So... Yeah, it's kind of a weird name. It's kind of awkward because it's plural, and the town name is plural, so that's why it is. But you're talking about one operating system, and there's an S in the end. Yeah, it's a very strange choice to me. Strange indeed.
0: But the thing I like about Mavericks is that Apple is not focusing so much on the visible changes, but on the the under-the-hood stuff. They want to make the computer run faster. Scrolling is Mm -hmm. faster. They want to compress memory. And they're looking at the fact that the most popular Mac out there is like a MacBook Air, which, of course, Mm -hmm. is the least powerful computer they make. So they want to enhance not just battery life, but perceived and usable performance.
18: Oh, yeah, exactly. Especially with the new uh, Intel Haswell chips that really give more processing power with a lot less energy and power consumption. They're going to be really pushing more towards more power with less battery life. And I mean, with the new MacBook airs that are coming out, they last 12 hours is what they were saying. And it's even longer on some of the website tests. And I think that's just really amazing. And those battery tests are actually running a snow leopard. They're not running the new um, operating system. So It'll be really great to see once the new operating system comes out, they're able to refine it a few iterations because the very first one that comes out is never the best one. But interesting to see if the battery life goes up even higher with the new operating system, because if they make the right refinements, that's definitely going to happen. And even if you have an older computer, you're just going to start getting better, better battery life out of it.
0: And just to mention this in case you're wondering, right now, there's no official word from Apple about the system requirements, but it does appear and it can always change, that if your Mac could run OS 10.8 Mountain Lion, that Mac, between four and six years old, for the older Macs included, can run Mavericks. Isn't that nice?
18: Yeah. It's nice to see the older systems be able to get the upgrade. Uh, I know it's not always possible, and a lot of people were upset with the first uh, iPad and how that wasn't supported by iOS 6, but I feel like, Moving forward, they're going to try to do a lot more in terms of supporting their older devices. Now, there's no way of telling if it's going to run just as well. Because I know that, what is it, the iPhone 4 can run um, the new operating system, iOS 7, I believe. I'm not sure. Yes, it um, can,
0: but cannot run Siri. There are certain functions that will not work mm-hmm. with the older products. Yeah, and it's, mostly it's a performance issue, where if they're exactly. not getting acceptable performance with that feature... It's not going to be supported. So, for example, Siri starts with the iPhone 4S. So, this is yeah. the one thing you look at if you go to Apple's site and you check the specifications. You can find the requirements for the new operating systems and also the limitations. Daniel Berg, tell us where we can find more of your stuff.
18: Yeah, you can find my stuff on my website, which is I am Dan with two N. So, I am com. or you can follow me on Twitter, which is at danberg. Again, with two n's. You
0: can find us on Twitter, where we are known as Tech Night Owl. That's right, we are Tech Night Owl on Twitter. You can also find me, Gene Steinberg, on Facebook. If you find that name, yeah, it's me. We also have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night this week, featuring a TV movie producer named Ron James with a new venture called ivolve tv on the paracast at paracast.com but here on the tech night Owl live daniel berg thank you so much for joining us on the show thank you so much for having me it was great
20: the tech night Owl live is a copyrighted presentation of making the impossible incorporated We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.